0: Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you, Lord, that you are the king and that you are alive and that you make us alive in you. Lord, speak to us now in this time, God, may your word penetrate our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. You're welcome. Uh, it It is good to be with you. I will tell you, I almost wasn't. I have had bronchitis. This whole week, and uh, I'm here. But if I'm a little lower energy, I'm sorry. But I'm gonna give it my all. Okay, uh, the cough has lessened, so it's good. But um, it is good to be able to not wheeze on stage for you. <laughs> and um, it's my it's my first time to be able to speak when we've been in this new series called God Speaks and this series where we're looking into the books of the minor prophets. Now, again, reminding us as we look at Micah today that when you get to heaven one day, as I've heard lots of people say, don't tell Micah we love how you were such a great minor prophet. Okay, you know, it's like I don't think it's what he's going for or Amos or the others. Uh, they also seem a little more intense, so, you know, you don't want to make them mad or anything, but... Uh, <laughs> But no, these are major messages, major messages from these shorter books that we call the Minor Prophets. And today we are in the book of Micah, and what we see in a lot of these Minor Prophets is we see a theme of God's rebuke against his people, whether it is the northern kingdom of Israel or the southern kingdom of Judah, and it's God's rebuke and message against them for most of the time, what it has to do with, actually, is the way that they have used power and the way that they have been greedy and the way that they have not been a people that uh, of God's kind of justice. And we see this oppression of the poor. And this book of Micah is all about that. It's a lot about that. And what you have going on, it's, if you want to pull out to, I encourage you to grab, if you brought a, got a bulletin as you came in, there's an outline in there. I encourage you to grab that. There'll be some good stuff for you throughout that and even after you leave. Um, but what you see is um, this, this time, that we're in this time where the northern kingdom of Israel, so what you think of as Israel today, the whole thing was divided into two halves, a northern half and a southern half. The northern half was called Israel, the southern half called Judah. This northern half has already been defeated by the Assyrians, and they have all been taken away into exile all right, now you still have the southern kingdom, and that's where the city of Jerusalem is, is in Judah. And so you've got this southern kingdom of Judah, and they have not yet been defeated. They're actually experiencing, though, in this time, kind of a, an economic boom, uh, just some of having to do with everything that's been going on, but they're in a, a good spot, actually, of wealth. And prosperity. And what it's doing is it's kind of breeding even more greed and materialism in the leaders of this southern kingdom of Judah. Now, we know that they're going to end up getting going into exile themselves and getting defeated, but it hasn't happened quite yet. And what you have happening is, is these kings are greedy and they're robbing from the poor to be able to increase their wealth. They're stealing from the poor to have the rich get richer. And you have priests and prophets who are justifying what they're doing to them. Okay, you've got these false prophets speaking words that these kings want to hear, and they're justifying their actions. And so God sends Micah to prophesy against them, and you're going to hear some pretty intense rebuke. Micah is this guy, if you you open your Bible, you see to the book of Micah, which I'm sure you can just do like boom, like that, right? Instantly turn to the book of Micah. Uh, if you've got the Bible in the back of the seat in front of you there, it's page 658. That'll help you get there a little bit quicker. 658 of that, uh, about, well, it looks like a little half, more than halfway through. Um, but you got Micah, and the very first word says, the word of the Lord which came to Micah of Moresheth. Micah lived in this place, Moresheth, that is A city that's kind of south and a little farther towards the coast from Jerusalem in this kind of low plains, kind of fertile farmland area. And so he's part of this farming community, small village, relatively poor people that are just kind of making their way as, as farmers in this area. And then the people of Jerusalem, the leaders, are taking from them and getting fatter themselves. And that's what's happening in the beginning of this book. It's kind of the sheriff of Nottingham in Robin Hood, right? Where he's taxing the poor to get richer himself. Now, Micah doesn't come and rob from the poor, but he's gonna come, I mean, rob from the rich to give to the poor, but he's gonna speak God's word against the rich. And against these leaders. And it's a little bit like this story from Emperor's New Groove. All right, you've got the beginning of this where this emperor is a lot like the leaders in Jerusalem.
1: Good afternoon, Your Highness. I'm here because I received a summons to... Hey, there he is, my main village man. Um, Pacha. Uh, Anyway, I, I got this summons. Pacha. That's right. You are just the man I wanted to see. I am? Word on the street is you can fix my problem. You can fix my problem, can't you? Sure, I'll do what I can. Good, good. That's just what I wanted to hear. Are you aware of just how important your village is to the Empire? Well, I know we grow the crops that you use here at the palace. We also herd the llamas that you... My village? Oh, yeah. You got a pretty sweet little setup there on top of that hill, don't you? <laughs> yeah, my family has lived on that hilltop for the last six generations. Uh huh. So tell me, where do you find you get the most sun? Oh, I'd say just on the other side of those trees. When the sun hits that ridge just right, these hills sing. Well, that settles it. Really? Yep. Problem solved. Thanks for coming. That's it. That's all you wanted me for? I just needed an insider's opinion before I okayed this spot for my pool. Uh, your pool? Booyah! Ah! Welcome to Kuzco-topia, my ultimate summer getaway, complete with water slide. What? Isn't it great? It's my birthday gift to me. <laughs> I'm so happy. Uh, 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 I don't understand how this could happen. Well, let me clear it up for you. At my birthday celebration tomorrow, I give the word, and your town will be destroyed, to make way for this. So, if I were you, I'd pick up some change of address forms on the way home. But, but, um, where will we live? Hmm, don't know, don't care. How's that? Oh, but wait, you can't... (laughs) When I give the word <laughs> all right that 's good,
0: um, but that 's like basically exactly like what what you see happening here in this is what you have happening. if you needed it to be translated for you that 's what 's happening in judah okay you 've got the rich trying to get richer by robbing from the poor and so we look into then into what god then speaks into Micah or into these people through micah now if you look at the book of micah it's about seven chapters we're doing it all today and we got about another 20 minutes or so to be able to like get through that entire thing and it's going to be good we're going to do it but we're just going to be able to look at certain little parts and so we see god speaking this destruction against the leaders of Judah. Throughout the beginning of this book, that's what you're seeing, the rebuke and why that rebuke comes. And so Micah 1, 3 through 5, it it paints this picture of God kind kind of like God on Mount Sinai when he came to give them the law. And he's coming with fire and smoke and intensity. It says, Behold, the Lord is coming forth from his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him. The valleys will be split like wax before the fire, like water poured down a steep place. All this is for the rebellion of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? That's the capital of the northern kingdom. What's the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom? And he's saying to them, God is coming with destruction, with fire, with intensity, and he is coming to bring judgment upon you. And God is going to then exile his people for justice, and eventually he will restore and return his people for justice. Why? Why does he do all this? We look into chapter 2. It says, Woe to those who scheme iniquity or sin, who work out evil on their beds. When morning comes, they do it, for it is in the power of their hands. That these people who do this have power. These are the people in positions of power that are the ones who commit this sin. It says here, They covet fields and then seize them, and houses. And take them away. They rob a man in his house, a man and his inheritance. <clears throat> These people are robbers of the people of God. They rob God's people of what they have. And then we see actually uh, in verse or in chapter three. <clears throat> sorry, and it's a little bit more than I could put in the screen. So I just want to read it here from my, from my Bible. It says, I said, this is three-one. I said, hear now, heads of Jacob, rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? They don't know justice. He says, you who hate good and love evil. Listen to these words. Who tear off their skin from them and their flesh from their bones. Who eat the flesh of my people, strip off their skin from them, break their bones, and chop them up as for the pot and as meat in a kettle. Now, they're not actually doing that, that is figurative language, but just speaking of how much these leaders are robbing and stealing and destroying and oppressing the poor. It says, then they, these leaders, will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. Instead, he will hide his face from them at that time because they've practiced evil deeds whereas when we talked in that blessing series about God's face shining upon his people shining upon us well this is when the kind of evil this kind of evil is what causes God's face to be hidden from them when they rob from the poor and then in verse 5 he starts to speak to the prophets Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray. And then he goes on into this long rebuke of them. And then finally in verse 12 of chapter 3, he says, Therefore, on account of you, Zion will be plowed as a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins. Okay, so he's just saying Zion is the mountain on Jerusalem. That all of this will be destroyed because of what you have been doing. And what you have happening is not just these leaders doing this this sinful thing of oppressing the poor of of Judah, but you have these false prophets who speak these words of kind of justifying these leaders, helping these leaders to feel like what they're doing is fine that, and that's really a lot of what false teachers and false prophets do is that they speak words that people want to hear. Not what the word of God says that should be happening, right? Not what, what is the message of God, but the message of man, actually. The message of humans that want to just be justified no matter what they do. And so that's what these false prophets are doing. And we have that happen in all sorts of ways still in our society today. We have people that preach a, a false gospel of permissiveness, a false gospel that says you can just kind of do whatever you want, that there's no consequence for sin, that there's no sense of, of justice against what has been done wrong. There's a couple kinds of justice that the Bible talks about. There's one kind of justice that's retributive justice. Retributive justice, and we'll talk more about this, but this is justice that is a consequence for sin, a consequence for wrongdoing. So, in the way of if someone commits a crime and then they are imprisoned, that is retributive justice. Right? You with me on that? And but then there's also restorative justice, and this restorative justice is this sense of God, of, of coming alongside people who have been wronged and helping make right the wrongs that have been done against them. So when they, like, in these stories, when the poor have been oppressed, to come in and to help relieve that and to restore them, that's restorative justice. Uh, And so that's a couple different kinds of this. Now, you have, like, these false gospels, though, that come in and say there's no need for retributive justice. There's no need for consequence because what's sin? Like, you're fine. You're just, you know, you're you're fine. You, You can do whatever you want. There's that. And I think that's kind of easier for us to, uh, like, think that that's wrong, right? But there's this other false gospel, and it's kind of easiest to see that in maybe a prosperity gospel or a health and wealth preacher that's just saying, hey, if you uh, trust in God or you give to my ministry, I'm going to make you, you know, I'll cause you to be healed of your diseases and make you wealthy, that kind of a thing. But there's also a part of that that's, Just you don't have to care about anybody else but yourself. There's kind of a false gospel that says, hey, you are right in what you are doing to build yourself up and to not care about what happens. examine ourselves and to see where God is speaking into us today, because God speaks in this passage, in this book, the right way to live and the right way to worship in one of those most sort of famous passages in all the scriptures in Micah 6. So look, uh, yeah, turn over to Micah 6 and we'll see it here, okay, this right way to live, this right way to worship. Micah 6.8 is this very famous passage that you might know, and maybe if you're a long-time Christian, you sang as a little kid. But it's important to get the beginning, kind of what leads into it. And it's talking about worship. It's talking about when they go to the temple for temple worship. For us, it's like thinking of even when we come here to sing, to give, to sacrifice what we give in worship. Um, that is, listen to how God speaks into that. He says, with what? Shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts? This is even where you start to see the people of Israel start to, Go into the ways of this worship of the God of Molech and thinking they're kind of bringing in these sacrificing their children um, practices into their practice. Shall I present my firstborn, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He's told you, oh man, what is good. Here it comes. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? This is the right way to worship. You see him like contrasting it from sacrifice. He says, no, I want you to live this kind of life. This is worship, okay? Your lives in that Romans 12, one and two cents. This is your, your lives are your spiritual act of worship. I want you to live out worship by doing justice, by loving kindness, and by walking humbly with your God. And so you think of these powerful people that Micah is preaching this message against. The people in power in Jerusalem, and he's preaching this message. And they are people who have our worldly sense of power, control, money, intelligence, domination over another, the ability to win in that way and conquer another. That is our world's understanding of power. And you contrast that with a biblical sense of power and a biblical sense of success and to win is mercy, kindness, humility, love, this kind of action, this sacrifice. This is the life that God wants us to live. And it is through that life that we will worship Him. Are you with me on this? Okay, I'm gonna kind of walk us through what that is because you think about. How do powerful people worship? Back then, it's like this extravagance. I'll bring thousands of yearling lamb, rams. I'll bring all of these, this oil. I'll bring all this extravagant worship. In great comforts, extravagance, in, in going through kind of the traditions of the time of these feasts and assemblies. Even we, we did Amos last week where God says, I hate your festivals. I hate your assemblies. Let justice flow like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, right? Like that is where God speaks in these minor prophets about, I don't care about how you come and how you comfortably and extravagantly worship me through these sacrifices, through these traditions, What I care about is your heart. What I care about is your life. And Jesus says it. Jesus says the same thing. It's in Matthew 15, 8, where Jesus actually quotes one of the prophets, Isaiah. It's in Isaiah 29, and Jesus says, you can honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. So if we come into this room and we sing these songs and we give even and we serve, we do, you come in and we, we practice all of this stuff of what is our version of temple worship. But if our hearts are far from him and if our lives that we live outside of this place are robbing from the poor to enrich ourselves, forget about it. It doesn't matter. God says he hates it. He hates it. Can you imagine as you're singing these songs, and God says, I hate that because of the life that you live outside of this room. It all matters. That's why we try to say a lot of time worship starts here when you walk out these doors. That's where real worship starts. This is a big time rebuke against the people in this day, back here, and to us today. What I love, though, is what Micah 7, seven says. We're going to talk through some of these words, but Micah 7.7 7 says this. But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Because you are called to live a life of justice, kindness, humility. But if you try to just do that in your own power, in your own self, you will fail. But we have to wait on God, watch for God, and wait upon him. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that allows us to be able to live this life in any way. So our first step is to wait upon God, wait for him, rely on him, and through the power of the Holy Spirit being, uh, just being lived out through us, we are then able to do this, to live this kind of life that is pleasing to God in this way. And so I want us just to quickly be able to look into what these words are. Judge justice, this, this Hebrew word mishpat, judgment, standards to make right. It's very connected to righteousness. Throughout the scriptures, justice and righteousness are together. Um, but what we see is, we, we already talked about this, both retributive, the consequence kind of justice, which, is, which takes place through them being exiled, and then the restorative justice, which is making right what's been wronged, and then you see God then restore and return his people as he's kind of living out this restorative justice. A couple of verses where you see this. Jeremiah 22, 3. Do justice and righteousness, and deliver the one. Is, he shows how to play out justice and righteousness. Deliver the one who's been robbed from the power of his oppressor. You see it again in these prophets. That's what they're speaking about. Do not mistreat or do violence to the stranger, the orphan, or the widow. And do not shed innocent blood in this place. Justice. Psalm 146. Who executes justice for the oppressed? Who gives food to the hungry? The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow. But he thwarts the way of the wicked. That thwarting the way of the wicked, that's the retributive justice, right? That's the consequence kind of justice. And then the restorative justice is what we see through protecting the stranger, supporting the fatherless, all of that, okay? So God says, I want you to do this. Live this out. This is what is right and what the Lord requires of you to do that. And to love kindness. Chesed is this Hebrew word, which is... We see it translated throughout the scriptures. It's, it's everywhere in the Bible. If you look up this word, you're going to find it so many places. It is mercy, loving kindness, the steadfast love of God, the goodness of God. We see that all throughout. He says, I want you to love that. That's what I want you to care about is this. And there's a bunch of verses, but here's one. Joel, another, another uh, minor prophet, he says, rend your heart and not your garments, Now return to the Lord your God for he's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in chesed, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. This kind of heart is what God says I want you to have. Love this, grace, compassion, mercy, that's what we're to be about and then humility, this, this Hebrew word sana that's in, in this verse, it's the only place in the whole Bible that it's actually used. There's other forms of, of humble in the Bible, but it's kind of just face value, humility, to be humble, to not think highly of yourself, to be modest, to kind of put yourself below the other. And that's what happens with any of these kind of things where you see this need to kind of bring this restorative justice. You are probably in a position of power, and a position of having privilege in some way. We don't like hearing, some. a lot of us don't like hearing words like that, but um, you are, <laughs> no matter what, okay, almost. like all, So many of us in this room, whether it's because of socioeconomic reasons, if it's reasons of being born in the place that you're born, if you're born here, or even being able to live in a place like this. This is an incredible place to live with all sorts of opportunity and prosperity. It could be your ethnicity, whatever that could be. You are in a position of power and privilege and able then to use that for good. And God says, you are required to. This is what I require of you. To do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly, to place yourself and your needs below the needs of the other person. No matter what you think you deserve. That's what it means to follow Jesus, guys. If you don't want to do it, then you're not, you're not following Jesus. I just say it straight up as that. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Okay? So this is a hard message it's a message that God, most of the prophets killed for it, okay? So it's also like a hard thing to say. But, um, he, then, but then we have to look at wait, this wait on God, yachal, to wait, to hope, to expect, that we look expectantly to God to do the work, not for us. In Psalm 130, just, I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait, and in his word I hope. O oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is abundant. Redemption. These words wait and hope are very connected. I mean, I know even like in Spanish, it's kind of like the same thing. You know, it's like wait and hope are very connected in, in this, these words that we wait upon God, we hope in God, we, we want him and it is his chesed, his loving kindness that we wait for. So this is what God has called us to do, how he's called us to live. And he says, this is where hope and peace will come from. What's so cool is in the middle of this whole book of Micah, he speaks of hope and he speaks of peace in the Messiah, the perfect ruler. He's telling them, you're going to be exiled. You're going to be destroyed. But there is hope to come for you and there's hope to come in the future. And we see that uh, in this, he speaks of this new Jerusalem that will be built. He speaks of this kingdom of peace. In Micah 4... He, he basically here at the beginning is saying that, that um, Zion and Jerusalem will be restored. But then he says, and God will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. And he speaks of this future. He says, then they will hammer their swords into plowshares. Their weapons, their swords will be turned into farming tools, this peace that will come. Their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. This is this beautiful picture of hope and peace that God gives us for the future, and it says this, "'Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree with no one to make them afraid.'" Though all the peoples walk, each in the name of his God, as for us, we will walk in the name of our Lord God forever and ever. This is this picture of peace. This was actually a very famous quote of George Washington that he would repeat this over and over again, and maybe some of you like recognize this from a Hamilton song, but it's like, each of them will sit under his vine and fig tree with no one to make them afraid. This was this, this picture of God's kingdom being fulfilled, that we will have peace, eternal peace. And Micah, in Micah 5, in the next chapter, says here's how you will have the peace. The peace will come from this one that that is the Messiah. The peace will come from the one from Bethlehem. You've probably heard Micah 5 in all the Christmas messages, right? But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Uh, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. And therefore he will give them up to the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he, that one that's born in Bethlehem, which we all know is Jesus, will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. And this one will be our peace. That's the Messiah. And so Micah is pointing us to the Messiah. So he says, here's how you have to live, okay? You have to live in this way that I'm telling you. This is what God requires of you. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly, wait on God, but it is all gonna come through the power of the Messiah. That's how everything will happen. Because here's, real quick, here's how it works, okay? Here's how it works. God chose the people of Israel through Abraham, and he said to them, I want to bless you to be a blessing to all the nations. But now they have allowed sin and evil to enter their midst, and in this case, because of the way that they are oppressing the poor. And so there needs to be justice against you, retributive justice. And so I am sending you into exile, and you will go and you will suffer and you will be destroyed in many ways. But my unending, unchanging love, my covenant love, and my promises are more powerful than your evil deeds. My promises are eternal. My compassion tramples the evil you have done. And so I will then restore you. I will restore you to your land of Israel. Then I will ultimately restore you for eternity. That's the message of Micah. That's the message. And it's in the very end that he gives these promises. And the very last couple of verses, because he says, Your hope is not in yourselves. Your hope is in me. It's in my character, who is a God like you, who pardons iniquity, passes over the acts of sin. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will have compassion. He will tread our sins, our iniquities underfoot. And then he says, unchanging love. You will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love to Abraham, which you swore to our forefathers from the days of old. God's promises are for you forever, he says to them. That's how it works." because of God's character, because of God's promises. And so we need to respond to this. We respond to this now in the way that God is calling us to respond. And he wants to, I believe he wants to have us live out these things by first waiting on him and then living out his justice, doing justice. We have to be people who love and live both retributive and restorative justice. But when we look at the prophets, we see that it's been pretty easy for us to do retributive justice against people. It's a lot harder for us to do restorative. That's where it tends to be, where we need more rebuke. And so he calls us to do that. So I encourage you to look in your bulletins if you've got the outline. On the back, I've just tried to list some ways for you to wait on God, to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly. Some simple ways that you can live this out in your own life. It's on the back of that outline. Just ways that you can, and so what I encourage you to do is to try and just choose one thing from each area that you can seek God in and try to grow in in this, to pray through this today. And so as we move into a time then of, of worship through singing and through coming to the stations remembering what Christ has done, Because what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection was he took the retributive justice upon himself so that he could bring restorative justice to all of us. That's the gospel. That's the true gospel, that Jesus takes all of that retributive consequence justice upon himself so that he could restore you and me and all of us to an eternity with God forever. So we remember what he did how he suffered for that as we take, as we eat the bread and drink from the cup. I encourage you, if you want to come and to receive prayer at the prayer points, you can as well. And uh, just as we sing and give God our hearts in worship, not just our lips, let's pray together. Almighty God, we come before you and we just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to live out what your biblical justice is. Lord, may we not allow the world to define justice for us, whether that's in political ways or in ways that are from our flesh, God. I pray that we would have a deep understanding of the the wholeness of your justice, which brings true peace, true shalom. And I pray, God, that through your Holy Spirit, you would enable us to live these things out, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with you, Lord. And so may we worship you now in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.